received and continue to receive conflicting messages from all over the place with both intentional and unintentional misinformation about the threat of COVID-19, how to contain it, how to treat it, about things like distancing, masks, and vaccines. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome in. It still bothers me, Cindy, that there are so many people who don't really believe that there's a pandemic, or even if they do, that it wasn't such a big deal and they think it's over. As a psychologist, I just think that's denial. That is not healthy. Seems to be mass denial, Julie. Meanwhile, the COVID-19 pandemic has killed over six and a half million people around the world so far and impacted pretty much everything. Health, education, work, relationships, family life, supply chain, the world economy, how safe children feel, all of it. And don't forget anxiety, depression, increased fear and insecurity. So many emotional reactions that will continue to affect us all in one way or another. And so many of us have had to cope with the death of a loved one. And so much dying leads to so much grief. And there was a lot of other loss and continues to be all due to COVID-19. We don't even know the full impact this pandemic has had on mental health. Well, we do know that it is definitely not good. Yes. In spite of having lived through other pandemics and health crises, such as the 1918 influenza virus or the AIDS crisis that started in 1981, nobody was ready for COVID. Not science, not medicine, not the government, and not us. Yeah, it's like we didn't learn anything from those other mass pandemics. Most of us at the time that COVID kind of hit and we started to realize how big it was, we were just scrambling for basic supplies, suffering, fearful, not knowing what to do or what to expect. There was nowhere to find reliable guidance. The pandemic, especially in the beginning, created major disruption in work-life balance with virtual education and remote work. Financial stresses have been one of the worst. It's true. And emotional stress. I mean, our therapy phone lines were have even now, but back then, ringing off the hook. A lot of us researched past pandemics just to find ideas or, you know, find hope that this too would pass. Right. In everyone's defense, it would have been hard to prepare for this novel, hard to predict and highly contagious respiratory disease that has caused significant illness and death. And even beyond death, ongoing illness that we don't even know about yet. It was hard to believe it when it was happening, I mean, even as it happened, it was hard to believe it. Thus, all of the denial. Our experience living through the pandemic has been even harder because of the other serious things we've had to face right along with it. Coming to terms with systemic racism, civil unrest, political division, extreme weather, mass violence. Oh my gosh, this is so depressing. All true. But from everything we hear, 
and this is depressing too, another pandemic is inevitable and the risk increases every year. We could learn a lot from what we have been living through, but will we? I have a lot of doubt about that. Diseases don't have to become pandemics. Some mistakes could have been avoided, and with that, our mental health could be in a better place. Yeah, we clearly can't just rely on improving the government's response or hospital infrastructure or nursing homes, although all of that does need to happen. So let's talk about what we'd need to be ready for a future pandemic. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> for one thing, we could all benefit from some personal preparation for the next pandemic before it happens. Not while we're in the throes of it, and we can't actually even think clearly. Right. It would be helpful for whoever is able to have some basic food and supplies ready and strategies for physical and economic security. Right. It makes sense to keep an extra supply of the dry and canned goods you use most, if you can. I'm not really a bunker kind of person, though. <laughs> you don't have to prepare a full prepper bunker. <laughs> a few essentials, like toilet paper, could save some initial panic. I think a lot of people will never let their toilet paper run out again at this point. So yes, you can stock up on toilet paper. So part of pandemic preparation would include education to help people know what to do and how to get the supplies to do it. For example, masks, hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes, other basic supplies, get them ahead of time, that will decrease the likelihood of immediate shortages like the ones we experienced for so long. Exactly. If people who are able to prepare like this actually do it, we can help avoid shortages of essential supplies because a lot of us who were caught off guard this time would already have the necessary, or at least some of them, basic supplies. And that would make it more likely that more of our neighbors could get what they need as well. It wouldn't be all at once, right? And a little financial savings for emergencies is always a good thing, no matter what. Of course, I have to say there are many families for whom that is not a possibility. Yes. And somehow helping people build greater financial security is a broader systemic issue and a very important one that needs to be addressed. Agreed. We also have to make sure mental health is protected during future pandemics, especially for more vulnerable populations. A lot of mental health resources shut down at the beginning of the pandemic when they should have been considered essential. Totally. We know that pandemics, like natural disasters, predictably produce some psychological reactions because of all the fear and insecurity they trigger. Yeah, we're still seeing those reactions. We did a podcast on road rage. <laughs> there are so many ways that people are still carrying all that. But certainly in the beginning of COVID, there was so little feeling of safety. Families, friends, colleagues, usually a source of comfort and connection, they were a potential threat to health. It felt really crazy. Yeah, we were afraid to be around other people. Fear for our lives, being around people we loved. Even touching the fresh produce in the grocery store could be oh, scary yeah. at that time. We didn't know. That's true. For a while there, when we thought it was transmitted on surfaces, I was cleaning the outside of everything that came into my home. Crazy. Yep. And then during the pandemic, sleep decreased and alcohol use and abuse increased. And it hasn't really settled down either. No. And that's clearly from stress. And there was so much to be stressed out about. Oh, yeah. 
being confined at home, feeling isolated, unemployment that led to increased alcohol use and less sleep all around, all of it did. Yeah, both insomnia and increased use of alcohol is associated with higher rates of accidents, violence, mistakes at work, physical health, immune problems, impaired decision-making, domestic violence, diminished cognitive performance, depression, and just general emotional distress. And we see all of it, and that's a lot. Yeah. So it was a vicious cycle that led us deeper into high-risk territory as we tried to cope with a new way of living. So it tells us that we have to practice good habits and self-care now in order to recover, even though this pandemic is not over yet. Right. And in order to prepare for the future. And if you're still drinking too much right now and you know who you are, try to cut back. Healthy lifestyle habits support immunity and resilience. Taking medications if needed, eating healthy, getting plenty of sleep and exercising. We should all try to learn from the way we all learned about the pandemic and what to do about it. But it's it's complicated too. Oh, it is. And we received and continue to receive conflicting messages from all over the place with both intentional and unintentional misinformation about the threat of COVID-19, how to contain it, how to treat it, about things like distancing, masks, and vaccines. It is a tragedy. Lots of people still believe that the risks involved in getting vaccinated, and this is so not true, are worse than the risks of getting COVID or that masks are useless. They're disproven. These are not true. Masks help save lives. Getting the vaccine absolutely saves lives. There are too many competing messages, Julie. Right. Straightforward, accurate, and timely information is essential to help people understand what is happening and what they need to do. So much lack of trust in our government and the medical establishment. Unfortunately, it's because there's so much misinformation being spread out there. People don't know which sources to believe. Yes, information has to come from trusted sources. Health professionals, community leaders, and the media have to be intentional about the kind of messages they create and put out there. And they need to be responsible in their own research and knowledge before they start spreading information. Definitely. The public needs to be informed, but not overwhelmed and distressed, and definitely not lied to. Right. Information has to be up-to-date and credible. People need practical ways to protect themselves and their families. And like you said, it's important not to be misleading or offer false hope. Given the world we live in now, we have to expect misinformation and we have to work against it with strong, early communication by trusted and credible messengers. On another note, I mean, you're right. Yes. Don't mean to change the subject. But on (laughs) another note, some of the serious mental health issues we need to prepare for include the special role of healthcare workers who had to work every day with exposure to serious health and safety risks for themselves and their families as well as dealing with dying patients and their families every day. And don't forget, there were shortages of the equipment, masking, gowns, et cetera, that they needed to protect themselves while trying to help others. That is just an unacceptable situation. We should not have shortages. Over 200,000 children lost a caregiver from COVID-19. And that number is still growing because people are still dying. 
that's a lot of childhood trauma and grief. And people of color experienced way higher rates of depression, suicidal thoughts, and substance use than white people. And they express more worry about having enough food and stable housing. And at least initially, they were dying at higher rates than white people from COVID. Yes. Lower socioeconomic status is one of the predictors of negative outcome from the pandemic, which is another factor that we have to take into account in our preparation for the future. We have to help communities in need. People of color became sicker from COVID and died with greater frequency, sometimes three times greater. Right. Luckily, I was reading in the New York Times recently, with vaccine education and availability, that has changed at least. The numbers are much more even across races now than they were initially. Well, that's good to know. With the yes. first COVID lockdown, a lot of important healthcare visits were put on hold for everyone, actually. Women weren't getting in for their annual pap smears and mammograms. Childhood vaccinations were postponed. Well, yeah, everyone was afraid to go to the doctor because they thought they might catch COVID there. So indirectly, COVID affected health in a lot of ways. It caused missed diagnoses because people didn't go to the doctor. There were no preventative services being applied, early interventions, a lot of things for a lot of medical conditions that just weren't addressed. Right. Then to be prepared for future pandemics, there'd also have to be a lot of work put into solving logistical problems about getting supplies and food to people who are most in need so they aren't overlooked. Yes. During disasters, it's known that people need a sense of safety, a sense of calm. They need to feel connected. They need to have feelings of self-sufficiency, community sufficiency, and maybe even most importantly, hope. The thing is, prevention takes money, and it's hard to put money into something that isn't happening yet. But we can't afford not to spend it. It's much more expensive after the fact. And not just expensive financially, expensive in terms of human experience and life. Yes. But now that so many people feel safe or immune or just not at risk from COVID anymore, as inaccurate as that should be, they're already forgetting the need to care. We know now that mental illness has to be included as an essential healthcare service in any disaster plans and preparations. Yeah. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is the only organization that comes up when you look for agencies working toward disaster or pandemic preparedness. There is a lot of information on their site. Just go to FEMA.gov. Yes, there is a lot. But we also know that FEMA can't possibly do enough. And we as individuals and communities have to pay attention and do what we can to prepare. Step one is to not forget the impact of COVID-19. The continuing impact. Not to deny. Exactly. Thanks for letting us break through the bubble of denial. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Until next time, take care.